police got a call and on the other end was a young girl who was pleading for help inside of her family's closet while her family of six were being stabbed to death by a deranged man. And they kind of chased him around Thailand. All of the stolen SIM cards and jewelry and stuff that he had on him connected him to all of his victims. They would target young Nigerian men who frequented cyber cafes and they were also very suspicious of quick upward mobility. Because it's understandable that in an emergency, it's scary to act or react, but what is even scarier is doing nothing because by doing nothing, you could possibly watch someone be murdered. Welcome to Bros of Murder, where we have technical difficulties as long as, you know. Well, we also have sushi pizza, too. Ugh. I don't know where I was going with that. I took a melatonin 20 minutes ago, so this is all like a fight against time, really. <laughs> Maybe you should go first. <laughs> yeah, but this episode, we're doing social media murders and or crimes. So now my case is about a, a real piece of shit. That's the best way I can summarize it. So on Saturday, November 5th, 2016, police got a call. And on the other end was a young girl who was pleading for help inside of her family's closet while her family of six were being stabbed to death by a deranged man. Uh, This man was 31-year-old Jeremy Arrington, who was convicted of 28 different charges, including three murders and three attempted murders, all over a Facebook comment. That was it. Someone reposted something on Facebook and he found offense to that. That's kind of like the road rage of social media. The interwebs, yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't get rage. If you hurt someone over like Twitter beef, that's embarrassing. But over (laughs) Facebook beef, that's even worse. Like you letting Zuck get you out of pocket? Mm, Really? I want to be in Zuck's pocket. He's rich. Not like that. What? Okay, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. In the pocket. So, in a metaverse pocket, the the pussy part of the metaverse. So now, it all started October 13th of, what was that, Robert? Uh, The B in battle stands for pussy. (laughs) I was going to change my name today to bussy, but I didn't know if it would be offensive to people because. Everybody got a bussy. I mean, yeah, but. Everybody got a boy. I pussy. didn't know if it would be offensive. If I would have put that as my name. <laughs> uh, what's happening? All right, so now. Oh, fuck. Backtracking. This all started October 13th of that same year in 2016 when Newark, New Jersey Police Department made a post on their website and social media accounts saying that a man, a violent man, sexually assaulted a woman in Clinton Hill and also threatened her with a gun. The victim was walking by the hospital after being attacked, found help. You know, she didn't die, but she did. She didn't suffer any life threatening injuries either. But an assault occurred and eyes were on Arrington. She ID'd him. Uh, Someone in the McBriars household had reposted and or commented. I couldn't. All the articles said either they commented on the post or reposted it on their page. Like the mother in a family and this is what set Arrington off because he knew the family and he saw that as like snitching basically. Uh, they had a little verbal dispute apparently on the post too and then it escalated from there. So now Arrington a couple of days later broke into the family's home on Saturday November 5th with a loaded firearm and took six people in the house hostage. The Whitehurst children, there's two kids the, their mother and a couple other children were all tied up and duct taped in a home while two other people escaped. Because there was nine people in the house total, but only six were bound and gagged. Two children and another woman escaped. So the Arrington tied up the six victims and tortured them over the course of an hour by stabbing them various times with a kitchen knife. That's including the children and the adults. 
Arlington eventually shot and killed the mother and also killed Ariel Little and Ali John Worst. They died of their stabbing injuries. One one of the mothers who were also there who survived said that she survived only because the youngest girl who has autism managed to escape and hide in a closet and called police for help. After police were called and Arlington realized that the girl called police, he fled the scene. But with the help of the couple surviving victims and the one adult and two children who escaped the home before the stabbings occurred, he was able to get caught a few hours later and, you know, positively ID. So now due to his charge of rape the previous weekend, because like this all happened within the same like week, well, two week period, he sat in jail and waited six years for his trial April 8th of this year. So it only took 10 days for George to sentence him to 375 years in prison. Now that prison term is equivalent to three life sentences in Jersey. And that's going to be served like consecutively. And then it added on 50 years per each murder. He'll be eligible to go on parole in 281 years because he's a very dangerous man. I have a question. Yes. Why do cases, and I, I feel like I should know this, but I don't. Why do people get consecutive life sentences or like ridiculous amounts of time? I guess that depends on a case so, and a state. Really. Why can't you say like life and that's it versus they're going to get 400 years? Is this the ev- in the event that Elon Musk uploads us to Starlink or some shit? Yeah. So I just looked it up and it's to acknowledge like multiple crimes committed by the same person. So, uh, okay. So it's justice for each person, <laughs> each crime yeah, you committed. Yeah. A lot of time can be commuted. So like, you know, you have a hundred years, but because of like good behavior or because of like probation things, they can take years off. So like if you have padding in that amount of years and you have like amount of years associated with each crime, then like just as you commit more crimes, those years just kind of like pile on top. So you're not just a thirst trap. <laughs> Me? And I also Absolutely not. Like- I'm disgusting. No, he's a thirst trap, everyone. Go look at his Instagram or not his Instagram. What is it? TikTok. The only fans. Oh, yeah. Hit me up. Give me money. Okay. Makes more sense. I feel like that should be known. Everyone, now you know why that there are consecutive life sentences or ridiculous numbers when it comes to crimes committed. I heard you, baby. It's my best friend. He's <laughs> there she is. going to love you. Yeah, but that was my case about that deranged Facebook stabbing man. I mean, just like taking a family at six hostage is just... It likes some movie shit. It's kind of scary. I can't. Uh, I'm already yeah, freaked out every night like I go to bed. The scariest thing that could happen to you. Yeah, to have to be bound and stabbed in front of your family. It's like the movie The Strangers. The oh, first yeah. one, the second one, because the second one was all. I've never seen The Strangers. You of all people should be nervous about that. You're acting up on Facebook all the time. And I'm in Jersey too. <laughs> Am I stabilizing? Yes, Robert. Cool. Yeah. Oh. What's up? <laughs> dying, man. Dying. God, dying all over the Okay, so today I'll be covering the Thai serial killer Songkid Pumpong, a man who preyed on sex workers throughout North and Eastern Thailand starting in 2005. So his string of murders lasted from January to June, or his initial string lasted from January to June of 2005. Songkid was a career con man whose life was kind of centered around manipulating people. And since he was a child, so he went to primary school and was immediately expelled for stealing, and that started his life of crime. So he, his entire life, he was a petty thief. He was constantly getting picked up by police. He was known to sell testimony in court. So he was someone you could go to and be like, hey, lie to the court for me. Here's some money. And he would help you out in court that way. And those were his initial uh, crimes that he committed that kind of got him on the radar of the Thai police. But because of the nature of that lifestyle of being a con man, stealing and things, he had to constantly be moving. So he had a very like drifter lifestyle. Witnesses often described him as smooth and charming, which kind of have to be to be a con man. So anytime they interviewed victims- Can't be a con man without confidence. (laughs) <laughs> wait okay can i just say this though whenever they describe a criminal as like smooth and charming they're always like ugly like, they always look real gutter butt and it's like you was who you yeah. 
<laughs> you can look him up. He's not like ugly, ugly, but I I don't know about. I feel like by charming, charming. He, he talked fast enough to where so people couldn't really combat what he was saying. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Well, he just talked to you in a circuit. You were like, okay, I guess you're in my house now. <laughs> I think it. I think being charming can make you attractive. Yes. Yes. Because 100%. I didn't ever yeah. feel like I was attractive growing up, primarily because I'm very short. But people liked me, and I think it was kind of easy to get dates. But yeah, I think it, it's because of my personality. I'm just like, ew, I don't like this. Can yeah, it wasn't home? it wasn't pity dates or anything. They're like, yes, please don't go home. I'm like, I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please don't go. Home. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Robert. I'm kidding. <laughs> The nature of his crimes would kind of continue to escalate. Uh, so in January of 2005, after a dispute with a sex worker he had hired, he strangled and murdered them. And that kind of basic structure um, would be carried across the majority of his murders. So his kind of modus operandi was to check into a luxury hotel under a fake name, often associating himself with a fake company, pick up a sex worker from a nearby massage parlor or karaoke club, while impersonating a wealthy businessman or some sort of talent scout uh, before raping, strangling, or suffocating his victims in his hotel room and then finally robbing them and then just dipping out of town. Were those, was there not CCTV during this time? There was. Mm. So between January and June of 2005, Kid killed five women this way and he'd kill someone and just move to the next town over, essentially. So it started in the north and kind of came down throughout the east of Thailand. Where was he getting his money from? Scams. Well, one, he was mean? robbing the women that he yeah. murdered, but also he was a petty thief. So he Have was you not constantly... listened to anything Robert has said? He's a con man. He's <laughs> very good to talk to you. He will steal from you. Talk you so, right out of your money. So cops would show up because the hotel would be like, there is a murdered person in our hotel. and they'd What like, did you just oh. call him? What? A murder person? No, they, they would there find the body of the sex person. worker. Oh, I thought you said there person. is a murder person. I was like, wait, that's called a murderer. Bad were you not listening to what Robert was just saying? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So the hotels, they'd be like, ah, yes, this man. And they'd show them the fake name and the fake company. They'd be like, no, 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 no. We know this guy. This is Samkid. And we're on his tail. And they kind of chased him around Thailand. There was an active investigation, a manhunt following him around Thailand. And uh, when f- police finally caught up to Samkid, all of the stolen SIM cards and jewelry and stuff that he had on him connected him to all of his victims. Oh, he was dumb. And he admitted to four out of five of the murders, and investigators speculated that he didn't want to associate himself with one of the murders because it was the murdering of someone from the south of Thailand, and he also was from the south of Thailand. So it was kind of like a regional thing where it's like, oh, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have killed someone from the south. Um, but again, they had physical evidence that uh, associated him with the scene. And so this is kind of weird. So apparently in Thailand, after they apprehend a criminal, they will take them back to the scene of the crime and make them describe how it happened and do a reenactment of the crimes. And they did this with Kid, and they just did this like weird press tour where they like toured him back to the five different cities that he had committed these crimes in and made him like, on camera reenact these crimes and the media like went crazy over this seems uh, kind of a fetish Robert, thing. You, yeah it seems very upsetting they were touring him around thailand and the media was going crazy and that's when he got his two big nicknames one of them was the thai jack the ripper and the other was ripper the kid it's kind of derivative but all right <laughs> Mm. I mean, well, yeah. Ripper the Kid goes hard. I mean, the first That's way too cool of a nickname for a piece of shit who murders sex workers. Yeah. Uh, so after his trial, he was given four death sentences. Mm. But those four death sentences were then commuted to just life in prison. But because, again, he's a con man, he was able to play the role as like a charming model prisoner the whole time. And he was released in May of 2019. <laughs> 
Oh, wow. So he only served like 12 or 13 years for killing five people. Awesome. Uh, so That's very Ed after Kemper that, of him. he modernized his con man game and then started going onto Facebook. And he started to con his final victim, a 51-year-old maid, hotel maid, uh, Jackrit Chekprom. So using Facebook, Somkid reached out to his victim and manipulated her into letting him move in with her and began their brief relationship. The victim's 25-year-old son said his mother had earlier told him her new lover was a lawyer who handled cases nationwide and planned to move in to live with her. So he used Facebook to convince her that, hey, I'm this big shot lawyer, but for some reason I need to move in with you. So after the 51-year-old maid and some kid moved in together and were living together, they had an altercation involving the Jarkit's motorcycle that uh, came to blows, and then some kid uh, murdered and murdered her by strangling her uh, and then hid her body under a bed and then just dipped, went back on the lamb. So he is now a famous figure in Thailand because, you know, he went on that weird little press tour where he reenacted all the murders. He was given these nicknames of the Thai Jack the Ripper and so on. So while he was running away from the police this last time, someone on a train saw him, took a photo of him, and then sent that photo to the police and said, hey, I'm on the train with the Thai Jack the Ripper right now. And they're like, cool, we got you, bet. And they met them at the next stop, stopped the train, just came on, arrested him immediately. It's kind of one of those things where his most recent murder was a result of like social media and the prevalence of media. And he was not able to continue a spree or anything. It was kind of immediately caught because of the saturation of media as well. So kind of like a weird double-edged sword. And he was given another death sentence, and he's currently sitting on death row. Uh, but that is only if he can't con his way off of death row again. <laughs> I was waiting for it. They're just like, man, this guy's a fucking outstanding person. <laughs> Let me just tell You're you. You're good this to go, bro. so charming. So yeah, this is his, technically his fifth death sentence. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He has maybe, killed six hey, people. He probably could be a great lawyer, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Do well, I mean, if he could have graduated primary school, he was a, uh, removed from primary school for stealing. I also got removed from primary school, but that was for something else. It was a Catholic school. So I Way to be insensitive, Robert. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, it was my fault. I threatened <laughs> violence. <laughs> I had no right being in the church from a young age. <laughs> No, that case kind of infuriates me. I don't like that some people just could go scot-free after committing such crazy crimes. And just because they know how to speak well, and they just like, huh, this is a outstanding son of a bitch. You're good to go. Yeah. He has such a punchable neck. My, my, <laughs> mine is kind of semi-related. I decided to do the Nigerian Prince scam. Oh, I love those Dr. Phil episodes. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god, I'm going to be old one day and I might fall for that. Actually, one of the articles I read said that young people actually fall for a lot of right, these scams more so than old people. <laughs> and now, a message from our sponsors. Because <laughs> yeah, old people can't turn on like, No, no. Young people, stop. We stop. I feel well, like he's like personally on the internet. It's, who's it's getting from... who's getting who is getting scammed by these people that are young? You should know this. Do not <laughs> click on the links that you get that has all these fucking typos in your email address and your emails. No, stop it. They well, do the typos okay. on purpose. They do it to like whittle out anyone who can like read. Let her finish. Sorry, I'm sorry. Okay, well, so there's many many iterations to this scam, and one of them is, which is kind of funny because when I joined my current job, they made me take a whole course on, like, internet safety and stuff. 
So the, the newer thing is like they'll send you an email that looks exactly like something you would like official that you would be sent from your company. Yes. And if you click on that link, it's not so much that they're taking <laughs> like money from you. It's that they're taking your information so that they can pose as someone in Fishing. your. Yes, yeah. it's called yeah. fishing with a PH. It happens to yeah, your boss. I got, it was like in my company every, every, I think a lot of big companies, they'll send out like these phishing emails and they get you to do things. And when I first started the job, I was like, I don't know. Like, okay, why is the CEO of the company texting me or like asking me for my phone number? I had no idea. So I take back the walkout that I did earlier. <laughs> Anyone could get the <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, Kelly, you struck a personal nerve here. Because I got scammed. I was like, yes, my CEO wants to be my best friend. <laughs> um, yeah. So, anyway, but yeah, like, there's obviously different levels of it. And so, we're all generally familiar with the Nigerian Prince scam. It's typically. Someone reaches out to you, you know, through the internet in the 90s. And it's funny, too, because this, this scam has actually been around for a really, really long time. The first noted instance of it was in the French Revolution. Woohoo! Yeah. By carrier pigeon? <laughs> I mean, by post, yeah. My, my case takes my case takes place in, in France. So this is a good segue. Go ahead, cool. Kelly. But yeah, and then again, um, it was, it it came back in like, not full force, but like with vigor in like the late, like the turn of the century, the 20th century, because like during the, I think it was like, what, the Spanish-American War, people would pretend to be, I don't know, rich people from Spain and, or, yeah, and then grift for money madam i'd like to quote to you <laughs> please send over your doubloon there was another there's actually been another version more recently like with americans at war you know the war on terror and where like an american soldier's like oh hey you know with everything happening i just i have all this money i just need to they don't, I need I you to give me right a, there yeah. nobody in the army has any kind of money <laughs> I need you to give me a, a transfer fee and then I can give you some of my money. But um, yeah, so that's essentially it. They claim to be a wealthy prince from Nigeria that just needs help accessing their riches. If you send money and cover the transfer fee or what have you, he'll give you some of his money in repayment and as thanks. But like, it'll either that's like the big con or if you give them money, they'll just keep being like, okay, well, there's something else that needs to be paid for and there's something else. And then people... The, the worst part, too, is that people will keep giving money after they've given money the first time because they want to believe that it's not bullshit. Like, they don't want to admit to themselves that they have been scammed, even when they know yep. they have been. I, <laughs> like, I, I need you to send me $1,000 in Apple gift cards. The thing that I find really interesting are the ones where it's like, yeah, the romance con, where, like, they, like, spend all this time getting into a, like, specifically usually a woman's good graces and like pretend to have a relationship and then start asking for money because like you have to like with that like i mean it's a long con like you kind of have to like get their trust until researching this case i actually had no idea that the scam specifically had ties to nigeria like in the more current iterations of it i thought it was just like one of those things where it's like like the way that people use timbuktu it's like You know, Mm -hmm. it's just a kind of a throwaway thing and not like a specific. It gained, I guess, for lack of a better term, popularity in Nigeria in the 90s when like cyber cafes became a thing. There was also rising unemployment in Nigeria specifically. And this has created obviously longstanding issues for Nigerians as a whole and has led to many discriminatory practices globally. For instance, apps like Coinbase won't allow people from Nigeria to use their online services. Oh, damn. And so, like, yeah, and, like, a lot of banking or, like, IP addresses from Nigeria will get blocked by foreign institutions. And instead of finding real solutions to combat these scams, they're usually patched with, like, short-term fixes that hurt the population at large instead of actually, like, the people who participate. In the last 30 years, it's even resulted in more police brutality within Nigeria. 
a task force was created um, in like 1992 with combating like violent criminals. And because of this rising scam, it kind of started focusing on that specifically, even though it's not really violent crime specifically. It was called the Special Anti-Robbery Squad, or SARS for short. And it was, they would target young Nigerian men who frequented cyber cafes. And they were also very suspicious of people who had like quick upward mobility. Um, but instead of actually investigating like online fraud, like through, through things like IP addresses and stuff like that, they would just kind of profile people. And it led to harassment, false accusations, arrests, sexual assault, and the murder of civilians by police. The internet really was a mistake. (laughs) Yeah, after there, and there's even video circulating in 2020 of a man being shot by police just based on accusations of participating in cybercrime. And that actually was what led to that specific task force being decommissioned. But like, obviously this is still like, like the one, one of the things that they were saying in one of the articles I was reading is just that this has been the one scam, especially with all the things happening. It has morphed so much over time and it's constantly, like these scammers are constantly adapting to get around. I mean, the idea of sending those emails in the nineties and now it's the phishing scams that essentially accomplish the same task so we kept on the internet kids i didn't know it ran so deep like that jesus christ yeah i was very surprised i i think it's interesting that you point out that how it was affecting this area i'm also curious on how with these different like task force that went out how racism affects these people does it make sense yeah and and that Same was thing with like indian people because that's a whole thing it's a too. big thing in yeah. india so yeah. mm-hmm. it definitely it, it kinda, led to anti like more anti-blackness for like especially mm-hmm. like i guess the nigerian community or especially like in other countries but mm-hmm. um or, or just cracking down on poor people in general if you're right. accusing people like oh hey you you got you bought a new fucking car you must be a scammer or, mm-hmm. right that's what I was thinking about when you were talking about your case. It was just like, huh, I wonder how... Trickle-down effect. Oh. Yeah, the trickle-down effect, essentially, yeah, how that one, affected these people. The one thing, too, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but there was something that I read about it as well, where, like, like all, the, all of the cyber attacks or that Russia was committing, especially, like, we, we know all the stuff in, like, 2016, mm-hmm. um, they were also exploiting that like what was happening with Nigeria and all of the like cyber crime through there. Yeah, kind of like, like escape, scapegoating, I guess. Yeah. Kind of. Well, in Nigeria is actually a really interesting example because they have a lot of internal conflict between like Christian and Islamic populations. Mm-hmm. And they've also gone through a couple of civil wars. So it's already a very fragmented area. And to have like a police force that has like, authority to kill people on accusation alone uh, Mm -hmm. is just going to be enforcing that same like hegemic power whoever is currently in power and that doesn't do anything for cybercrime like that's really scary well that's the thing that kills me about a lot of the stuff that like we look at and examine within like these these structures of like government and what have you it's like all these things happen we could actually research a real fucking solution that actually does stuff but we don't we just slap a fucking band-aid on it and call it a day yeah people will go for what feels like the emotionally correct response like oh more police that's the response give me more powerful police instead of like for example for the war on drugs nobody wants to pay for safe use sites mm-hmm. that will like give people a safe place to do drugs which will then lead them to have access to resources to get clean. Well, yeah, that I is mean, more even, effective than higher rates of policing. And nobody the, wants to like have that in their city. Yeah, they just want to they want to just quote unquote shoot their local drug dealer and it's like that's not going to get rid of drugs, dumbass. Well, I mean, <laughs> and like specifically too, like the the issue that we have like supporting or not supporting homeless people in our country. I mean, mm-hmm. the fact that people are so like pick yourself up by your bootstraps and they're like, "Well, I don't want my money going to people who are quote unquote lazy, but it's like we literally spend more fucking tax money 
putting them in jail and criminalizing them than if we just helped them. Like we would, we would save money as a country if we just helped them. Not only that with saying, picking people up by their bootstraps. What annoys me is that there are a lot of veterans that are homeless. Mm -hmm. And as a country that we say that we care about our veterans, I don't think that we really do. Cause in the event that Andre and, or I become homeless, I don't think we'll be looked at as homeless veterans. We'll be looked at as homeless black men, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. And if you don't believe anything that we're talking about, I challenge you to Ooh. hop on a plane if you're not close enough and go to the VA in Los Angeles and tell me that homelessness among the veteran population is not an issue. Because if you go to the Veterans Affairs in Los Angeles, there is a whole fucking street of just homeless veterans, and they are allowed to stay there. And it's an issue. Mm-hmm. Well, but and if you don't think it's an, an issue, like go to any local VFW in your area, yeah. and you can you can find veterans who need help. Yeah, it just disgusts me how hollow this idea we have is. I, I don't remember what I was reading or what I was listening to, but I just remember they were talking about this exact same thing, and they were saying how we just have this romanticized idea of like men dying in battle, and that's that's where that's where it ends because it's noble to die for your country, but it's not on like for whatever reason we don't think it's on us to actually take care of the people who have to come home. Like that's not what this whole like circle jerk about the troops is about it's just this romanticized idea of sending young people off to die absolutely thank you that is so true and i sorry this hits like a really 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 like deep spot within me i struggle with ptsd and panic disorder and for years and i'm talking years like five five years six years I've had such a difficult time transitioning even longer than that. After deployment back in 2011, it was such a terrible time transitioning, coming back from Afghanistan to the States and then transitioning out of the military and the lack of resources and the lack of support that you don't get from people that say, Oh yeah, I fucking care about you. And as soon as you get out, it's like, Oh, well you had it made. He probably should have stayed in the military. And it's like, no dude, like I made a choice that I thought was better for myself. And it was very difficult. And the military didn't prepare me to tackle things like how do you rent an apartment or how do you buy a house or how do you set up utilities, any of that stuff. And it's so stressful. Not only that, going from a place where it's extremely structured to where you do whatever whatever the fuck you want. It feels weird. (laughs) It is absolutely weird. And there's so much resentment. And I don't hate the military however i think things could be a little bit better especially for people that transition out of the military and it's not just people that did four or eight years and get out it's for people all people in the military because i know people that have gotten out of the military after 20 plus years they retire out of the military that struggle with mental health but we're not there for each other and we're just like oh veterans day you could have a free fucking blooming onion from Outback. Thanks for your service. But not a job. Yeah. So uh, there, I, I this will is say, a tough spot for me. Like, I fucking hate this like yeah. topic. Well, I yeah. will say because I've been, I was, I was, and more recently than Battle was, they do now have a lot more programs just now rolling out, but they're still not completely like flushed yeah. out. Like there's a lot Lots of good. Yeah, but there's a lot of like white space in that where you're just like mm-hmm. on your ass. Like for example, when I got shipped to DC for the whole ride shit, uh-huh. I broke my foot. They wouldn't give me workers' comp when I got home, even though I was out of work for three months. They were just like, yeah, "You're on your own." I was like, "But I can't go back to work and make money to feed myself and pay rent." And they're like, "Well, so yeah, it's the, the army can do a lot better." I I don't think it's the army. I think it's the military in general. Yes. And that's not even like touching like what you hear about all this sexual assault that happens. It just gets like shut down. 
Oh my god. Sorry, yeah. I didn't even open that can of worms, but... It's a whole can of worms. Especially, like, the rate of men who get sexually assaulted and just don't say anything. Mm-hmm. Because it's just Ever. fucking machismo fucking attitude that is it. Fort Hood. In Fort the West. military. Yeah. I don't get it. I'm sorry for going off this tangent, but that really struck a nerve in me. Like, some of the things that military like service members have to endure for people to be fucking assholes towards military like service members because not everyone's an ass like a dick in the military but i get it like how it's represented or how bag, people can yeah. represent it well, it's so fucking weird the type of treatment that we get as veterans as service members but then again we as americans glorify the military and think that people that are service members are fucking god tier when it's like no we're just people that wanted to do something different and maybe didn't have the same type of opportunities that you had in life and i can't yeah, speak so for everyone to, but like it's so we different. had to pull us over by our bootstraps and make it happen another aspect we haven't really touched on is how uh fha loans were denied to black service members uh but not white service members so when they came back from the war Whites got a free house. And, uh, you know, how that contributes to redlining and, you know, racism within the military of, you know, good enough to die for the country, but when you get back, uh, not only are you treated poorly just because of the color of your skin, now also you have to deal with unpacking all of the trauma associated with your service alone. Yeah. There's a whole other episode we can dive down on because we have so well, I mean, and we should, you know. We yeah. should, yeah. Like, you guys are a wealth of experience. Even just that you can actually speak from, like, personal experience on these kinds of things. Like, you know, if you guys are comfortable, I think that is something that people should hear. It's an iceberg to unpack. So, Battle, do you want to end off with your case? Yes. After that, after that group tangent, we all went on. <laughs> Sorry, I hate talking about like the veterans thing. It's like, well, I mean, like, I don't hate talking about. It. I just it's think, a like, lot to get out. Yeah, like okay. thinking about. Okay, I'm just gonna go to my case. Okay, so here's a framework for my case today. Imagine walking home in a crowded area, just minding your own business, and all of a sudden, for no reason. You are attacked. And while you're being attacked and starting started starting to get stabbed repeatedly, people around you are recording the event versus helping you. So essentially they're doing nothing. So if you don't know who I am, I'm Battle. <laughs> I think everyone knows who I am. Yeah, you're at this point in the episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And today my case is about An- Andy Bridget, a 22-year-old person who was stabbed to death. Jesus. So prior to going over this case, I'd like to explain the phenomena, phenomena that happened when he was being murdered. And this phenomena is called the bystander effect, also known as the Genovese effect. Didn't you also have your own little special term coined for it? Hmm? The zebra, th- isn't it? The zebra, just- like acting yeah, like a yeah, zebra. Yeah. I'll talk That's about fine. that later. Yeah, because I've talked. I, about I, that. When you were doing your preamble, I definitely thought you were going to talk about Kitty Genovese. Yes. Well, the whole reason there's a bystander effect is because of uh, Kitty Genovese. So, the murder, or the reason there's a bystander effect, is like we said earlier, or just a second ago, was because of a murder of Kenny Kitty. Genovese, who in 1964 was stabbed to death outside her New York apartment. While she was being stabbed to death, there were multiple neighbors that did nothing and did not step in or call the police whatsoever. It sounds terrible, right? Well, I can assure you that it happens to this day. Mm-hmm. So according to two social psychologists, Bib Latane and John Darley, the bystander effect is caused by two different factors. Those are diffusion of responsibility and social influences. What these two things mean is that with the diffusion of responsibility is that the more people that are around watching and doing net 
doing nothing, the less personal responsibility that we as individuals feel to take action. So if there's a shit ton of people just watching and just being like, holy fuck, world star, blah, 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 whatever, you're not going to do anything because no one else is going to do anything. Whereas the social influences where individuals monitor behavior of those around them to determine how to act according uh, this is all according to psycholo- psychology today. We talked about this before on our podcast that if you say, especially me, if you see something going on, say something. Because it's understandable that in an emergency, it's scary to act or react. But what is even scarier is doing nothing because by doing nothing, you could possibly watch someone be murdered. Like in my case today, as I said earlier today, or as I said earlier today, as I said earlier, Andy Bridget was only a 22 year old person living in Paris, France. At this ripe young age, he had recently won a contract as a mechanic. So he was able to get a job as a mechanic in Paris, France. And on his ride home in a metro station, it seemed that Andy and his murderer bumped into each other and this is what caused it they bumped into each other after some heated conversation with this person the 33 year old attacker pulled out a knife and stabbed andy multiple times again because they bumped into each other and it sounds crazy but it's what happened and later we find out that there was some type of mental break that happened with this person that murdered andy but With this case, there are a couple of shitty things about this case in that, one, Andy was with a friend. Oh. And during, yes, and during the attack, that friend ran away and left him alone. Like, he fled the scene. He left him by himself. didn't get help? No. I don't know who to... I don't know who needs to hear this, but if you have a friend that would not back you up in the event that you're being attacked, it's probably not a friend. And you could probably find this out as if by having an altercation with someone and they're just like, bro, that was a fucking crazy argument that you just had. No, like you need to be a ride or die bitch. And if you're not, go away. Yeah, like if if I'm getting stabbed, hell. (laughs) That is not a good friend. You're like, right? I don't care how fucking scared you are. Like, go get help. Yeah, if you don't fucking scream or some shit. Another thing that's pretty upsetting about this case is while they were arguing and while he was being attacked and after he he was attacked, he was, after he was lying on the ground, dying, no one did anything to help him. And eventually around 6 p.m. their time, which this happened back in 2018, the ambulance finally was called and they arrived by about 7.30, so an hour and a half later. Andy was pronounced dead. It took Some of the hour? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some of the worst parts about this, about this case was that, again, no one wanted to help. However, what they did do was take pictures and videos, so essentially film him in agony, and then post it on Snapchat and Facebook and Twitter. Yes. They watched this man get murdered and they did nothing. The attacker did try to flee the scene. However, he was eventually caught. When taken into police custody, they gave him a psychiatric evaluation. That's what happened with him. And eventually Andy's mother went to the hospital which she went to just view the body body because he was already dead. This was a few days later. However, she was not able to see him. However, she did state that, and I quote, an autopsy is being carried out. According to police, this, his killer saw a doctor and they said that he was out of his mind. And they told him that he is currently in a psychiatric hospital. End quotes. As of now, I was not able to find anything on the murderer, his name, or what his current status is. 
However, his family did open up a GoFundMe, which raised close to 14,000 euros to help pay for expenses. And after all this, the big takeaways from what happened to Andy is that, again, like I've said in previous episodes, we need to not be zebras and try to blend in. Instead, if you don't want to directly intervene, you can indirectly intervene by getting to a safe place where you feel comfortable picking up your fucking phone that you use all the time and calling authorities, even though that there's issues with authorities sometimes. So take it from me, everyone do the right thing when no one else wants to do the right thing. That is my case. The, so when, when you go through first aid training, one of the big things they hype on is the bystander effect of that. If like you're providing first aid to someone you have to call out someone specific near you. Like you can't just say mm-hmm. someone call nine one one. You have to say you blue shirt or you know you Steve call nine one one because that kind of gets around the idea of like diffusing that responsibility to the group. Of human brains are really bad at like taking initiative, and especially in like stressful situations yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. It's not always fight or flight. Fight or flight or freeze. They say. Yeah, you, you, you also need to learn that in the military, too. How to, like... T- tunnel vision's real. And people get tunnel vision, and they just, like, freak out, and they can't think. And it's like, bro, relax. I get freezing, but, like, also, there's a difference between freezing and putting someone who's fucking dying on Snapchat. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we're taking action, yeah. The aunt and the mom of Andy went on record to say the people that posted all of these videos or people that posted videos or Snapchat should be accountable for their actions. They're just as guilty as a murderer because instead of helping and intervening someone that was getting stabbed, because he got stabbed over two times, they just watched and didn't intervene. But then again, if you look at this European country that is predominantly white and this um, migrant immigrant he was not native of France he was native of the islands and the the Caribbean he was working there so maybe that was an issue and that's something that his mom and aunt brought up that okay maybe because he they saw a person of color getting murdered they're just less likely and less inclined to do anything about it but that's the fundamental issue of racism just because we don't look like you and our pigment our melanin is popping all the time like doesn't mean we're terrible people doesn't mean we're super better doesn't mean we're whatever label right like if you see someone getting stabbed it doesn't matter same thing as me like as a corpsman like it doesn't matter if it's a person that we're that's enemy fighting it's a human life that yeah, life is really no exactly what. exactly it just reminds me of that case that um i think it was qatar kuwait it like happened a couple of years ago where the maid fell out the window and like the woman who hired her in her apartment instead of helping which is recording her dangling out the window screaming for help until she like lost her grip and fell i think it was like five or six stories but she survived because like the the metal shack she landed on like collapsed and kind of cushioned her fall in a way. She still broke like almost every bone in her body, but she lived. But the woman just is watching her hang from her window by her hands, screaming for help, and just like recording her. Like, oh, look at this stupid lady. She tried to jump. I was like, ma'am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you can if you can take a fucking video, you can call 911. It's right? the same <laughs> amount of effort. It's easier to call 911 if you tap if you have an iPhone and if you tap your home button 5 times it automatically calls. Even if you don't have like a cell like a, even have a cell plan, <laughs> yes. you just still dial emergency services. Mm-hmm. You're yep. absolutely right Kelly, like it's so much like yeah, if you could take a Snapchat, you can call the cops. Well, that was our episode on social media crimes. We did go on a tangent, but it was a healthy one and it felt good. Uh, it felt real cathartic. Uh, enjoy the music 
but later, kisses from the homies. Cathartic's kind of a sexy word. Cathartic. Yeah. So was Zamboni. We now have breaking news. So you better be sure 